Bonanian. There are times I do give out phone quotes. It's not often, but, you know, A, I'm trying to help somebody, and B, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of a practical question. Tell me how, you know, how much is it to do this engine? Give me a ballpark. It would sure do me good. Do you good? Let me help. The car doctor. From what you're telling me, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. From what you're telling me, Ray, it, it, it sounds like you were overcharged. Something, so, something doesn't make sense. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Andy and the Car Doctor here at the helm at 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Give us a call. Pick up the phone. Make your problem my problem because that's what the Car Doctor does. He solves problems. Cardoctorshow.com is the website, as you all must know, and we do have a Facebook page out there, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, and podcasting available and all the other good things that you've come to expect from a high-quality, high-caliber radio show, which uh, someday we will be. Um, but I'm not really sure. I see the boys in the studio room. You guys are like kids at Christmas. What happened inside there? It's, uh, it's um, yeah. We got some new seats. I, I see that. Um, the problem is now I can and, see Tom. And, and, and you and I made like we were at the Indy 500. We yeah, got these was, things put together in under fun. six minutes. Uh, for everybody who wants to know what's going on behind the scenes, we had ordered stools for the for the studio. And uh, we, because we've been kind of suffering, we broke a stool, and then we had to get a chair, and you know, it's it's this is this is a you know it's 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 live radio. Things happen, right? Things go wrong, and we just try to never tell you what's going on behind the scenes. So I said in between our last hour and this hour, I said, oh, by the way, the stools came in. They came in on the shipping dock. They're at the they're at the gate, and uh, we went over shipping and pulled them out and. Oh, yeah, let's put this together. So Tom and I just spent the last six minutes putting uh, the stools together. I did a wonderful job of supervising. Well, I noticed that. And uh, Mikey was counting down the clock. And, of course, I got through it, and I said, now should we read the instructions? Nah, they work. So if there's a sudden loud clunk during this hour, you know, Tom and Mike fell off their stools, and uh, Tom didn't tighten the tops down as tight as he should have. So um, that's part of what happens sometimes on radio. I just want to I want to do this real quick before we go to the phones. Hey, Ron, I just want to add to the vintage car storing debate. I'll tell you what, I never saw a topic generally so much controversy and, and conversation. This comes to us from Frank Kilbride. Sunoco Racing Fuels available all over the U.S., leaded and unleaded with different types of octane. Thanks, Frank. Enjoy today's radio show. And I'll tell you what, we actually looked into this. We So we're in North Jersey, right? New Jersey, North Jersey. We looked, There's one Sunoco station in Fort Lee. Fort Lee is famous. It's the home to the GW Bridge, which is right, right leading into New York City, the greatest city in the world. And we looked into the Sunoco station. They do have leaded fuel that they'll only dispense into a can. It's $10 a gallon, all right? And I don't understand. So for a vintage car, for the hot rod like the 55, my Chevy, yeah, okay, I could see maybe doing that. If, But, you know, I kind of tend to start the hot rod, and I tend to run it on Sunoco anyway. Um, not that the Sunoco unleaded is, is ethanol-free. But, you know, for the person like Vince that I talked about recently with his lawnmower and for everybody out there with a the lawnmower, it's easier just to go out and purchase ethanol-free fuel from the local hardware store or, you know, a, again, a bottle of stable fuel and ethanol additive into the tank to mix it up. And, uh, you know, that's what stable supposed to do. It, it's, it prevents the ethanol issue from happening. It, it, it's, a, it's 
you know, the solution. It's a cheaper solution, in my opinion, because if you because keep in mind, Frank and everybody else, you know, this, the car storing debate isn't just for vintage cars. There are a lot of, well, can you see somebody driving a brand-new mid-engine Corvette year-round? Uh, you know, you're not taking that car out December, January, February, March, and depending on where you are, what part of the country, with the snow on the ground and some of the other Chryslers with, you know, Chrysler muscle cars and some of the Ford muscle cars and so forth. Just not going to happen. So, you know, the argument for stable fuel additive is there, some sort of, you know, ethanol fuel additive. It just it just makes sense. Um I I just can't see the process of putting leaded fuel into an unleaded vehicle and the issues that that would create. So it makes no sense to me. But I'm sure this debate will continue on and on. We'll be talking about it in the weeks to come. Let's get over to New Orleans and talk to Anthony, 91 Chevy pick-em-up truck. Anthony, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Idea. Yes, um, yeah, I have this old truck that's been running very, very well. Okay. Recently, it just started to wear when I come to an idle and I just sit there and let it sit, it's running smooth, and then it starts to, like, just slightly rumble, then a little more rumble, slowing down and idle to where it just stops. Okay. The key again starts up, it runs perfect, for, and it'll, it'll go back to doing the same thing sometimes, and then sometimes it won't. Uh, changed all, since it was old, I changed all senses, water senses, computer senses, uh, map sensors, uh, uh, the, the, what's the one in the exhaust I changed it to? Oh, two? Yeah, I changed everything. And it's got a, it's a V6 4.3 with the throttle body. Right. And uh, the fuel pump is about three years old in there, fuel filters to maybe six months old. Um, mm -hmm. uh, changed the thermostat, flushed all the coolant, make sure everything is fresh and good. Um, but it does this. So I was wondering if there's something with throttle bodies that they go bad with age. Not really. Um, not, and I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily a throttle body issue. Let me, let me ask you something, Anthony. Do you still have all the old parts? Uh, some of them. Okay. And how much money do you think you spent on all these parts? Oh, about $150. That's it? Yeah. I found some very good deals on eBay. For lots of good Delco part numbers and everything. Okay. Real Delco part numbers? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I tracked them all down and made sure I got the right thing. Okay. Has anybody tried to do a diagnosis to this? No, uh, I haven't. Like, In what kind of way would you recommend it? Well, I'd like to look at fuel trim. I'd like to look at fuel pressure. I'd like to look at quality of spark as it starts to fade down. I'd like to look for a vacuum leak. You know, there's there's obviously a fault going on here. One of the things that comes to mind for vehicles of this vintage is they did have problems inside the distributor with the pickup coil assembly where the magnet would crack and it would produce some erratic spark and alter how and well and how well it ran and, and if it ran. And well, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because about four years ago I changed it, put a brand-new old distributor in it, but a uh, new rotor, new cap, right. four years ago, and I just recently replaced it again. Rotor, cap, wires. Well, no, I'm talking about the pickup coil and the reluctor magnet on the distributor shaft itself. Well, that all came. I put a new distributor in. Okay, new as in brand new out of GM? Uh, not GM. Where did I, I think I got that from O'Reilly. 
Okay. And and was it a remand or was it so you know whose brand was it? Because they haven't made new distributors. Well, they, yeah, it was about four years ago, but it said it was new. Came with a lifetime warranty. Okay. Well, how about do you have a spark tester, Anthony? Yes, I do. Okay. So as this vehicle gets to the point where it starts to run rough, what kind of spark tester do you have? Is it, a, is, it, sure. is, it a, is it a spark plug, or is it, an, is it an adjustable gap tester? I think it's like, yes, that. It's, it's an adjustable gap, right? So you can crank it out to whatever voltage reading you want to measure and, and test it that way, right? Yes. Okay, so, you know, this is an HEI system. We should easily produce 35,000 volts with a nice, crisp, snappy spark. And why don't we set it up on one of the plug wires and measure... What's the maximum this will produce on a reliable basis? Let's say 35. So what I want you to do is, you know, set up the spark tester, pick a cylinder, set it to 35 or 40 thousandths gap, see if you got a nice, hot, angry spark, and listen to it. Snap, 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 snap. All right? You'll know what I'm saying when you do this. All right? And that's what you're expecting. Put it back together. Take it apart, put it back together, let it run. As it starts to a point, approach the point of failure where you feel like it's starting to run rough and and shake and the rpm is dropping down shut the car off now you're saying if you shut the car off it automatically resets and reverts back to running normal right it kind of just kind of rumbles it gets to the idle gets lower it's just slowing down and lowering to like where it just lowers itself and shuts off. So what happens if, if while this vehicle is idling poorly, what happens before it stalls, you know, just as it starts to change its disposition, all right, if yeah. you were to cycle the key and start it up, is it automatically running good again? Yes. Okay. Then I don't think anything we're talking about is going to solve it. I think uh, uh, I, Ron, yeah. we'll say that if I, if I take it and drive it around, I can go from zero to 70, I'm telling you, like a race car. And it never misses a lick. Right. I, 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 then I took it and got on the street and slowed down to about 35 and held it there at 35 with my foot on the brake and just held it and floored it while I'm holding on the brake. It just wanted to pull constantly, not a lick or a miss anywhere. Okay. What do you think's wrong with the truck? Well, I'm back to the throttle body. I keep, I've run out of things to that. Could there be something in the fuel pressure regulator or something inside that I'm not aware of? Well, yeah, but at, at some point, Anthony, we've got to hook up. You know, how about we hook up a fuel pressure gauge? How come we can't have a fuel pressure problem? Something Wait, with where? Or, or where is that? Do you know on that throttle body where to hook up a gauge? Well, if there's no Schrader valve leading up to the line assembly at the back of the throttle body. If there's no Schrader port, which there there is on some of them, then the idea was that you would take out the fuel filter, and they substituted in an adapter, and the gauge came in from under the truck. I'm not saying it was easy. It was kind of stupid back then, all right? But that's specifically where it was. But I'd like to see what fuel pressure is supposed to be. If this is a throttle body, this is, this is two uh, injectors in a throttle body setup? Yes. If I remember correctly, 13 to 15 pounds of fuel pressure is the number. Now, I don't see why cycling the key would, would do that, would make a change, a bad fuel pump or a tired fuel pump. I don't care if it's new, old, if it, if it came out of heaven or wherever it came from. It, you know, it's, <laughs> I still want to test it, all right? I got you. So do you have a voltmeter? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you know how an O2 sensor works? 
Mm, no, not exactly. All right, an O2 sensor is like a thermostat. I'm going to go through this quick because I'm up against the clock. So an O2 sensor puts out zero to one volt. All right? Okay. If, if the vehicle's running lean, it's going to put out a low voltage. If the vehicle's running rich, it produces a high voltage. A normal, good-running O2 sensor will vary between uh, 300 millivolts and 800 millivolts on a regular basis. It's an up-down. It looks like a, like a heart rate monitor in a hospital. All right? Okay. Now, it's kind of hard to see with a digital voltmeter. If you have an old analog-style meter where the needle's swinging back and forth, you'll get it. It's more up and down and up and down and up and down. All right? It wouldn't hurt to throw a voltmeter on that O2 line. Make sure you gently, gently, G-E-N-T-L-Y, pierce the wiring harness so that you don't, you know, damage it on the, on the factory side, not the sensor side. All right? And a little bit of nail polish, clear nail polish to seal up the hole once you're done with this, prevents moisture from getting in there, and you can put a little electrical tape on it. Once you watch the O2 sensor, sometimes diagnostics isn't chasing what's bad. Prove to me what's good, and you'll find what's bad. And that's why I'm sending you in that direction. If you come back to me and tell me, hey, the O2 sensor always looks good, fuel pressure's good, we'll have a different conversation. Do that. Call me back. Hey, Ron? Yes, sir. I was just going to say that I just put a brand new Delco sensor in. What Delco? What sensor? What you talking about? The O2 sensor? Yeah, but I'm not talking about the O2 being bad. See, you're still you got it in your head. You think it's a bad part. You're looking. You're looking for. You're looking for a reason. I'm looking for a cause. I want to know if the O2 sensor is operating properly. If that O2 sensor is stuck high or low, something might be driving it that way. That's why I want to test something. Uh, well, I understand it, Ron, but the, the, it ran the same way with the old sensor or the new sensor. It never right. changed. Anthony, I'm not saying it's the sensor. I'm oh, saying I'm saying use the sensor as something to test, all right? So if that sensor is stuck lean all the time, it means it's starving for fuel. Why is the truck starving for fuel? Maybe we've got a fuel delivery problem. Maybe I can prove your throttle body is at fault before you go out and change a very expensive part. So do some testing. Call me back. 855-560-9900. I'll return right after this. Little GTO, you really look at Three deuces and a four-speed. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Let's get over and talk to Brian in Maine, 2010 Volvo S80. Brian, welcome to the car, doctor, sir. Yes, Ron. One of the other is a 2010 Volvo S80. We lost the keys to it. We since had a key made to it in the, in the control, but now nothing works in the car. We can't get the radio, the fan, we can't get... It's got the airbag light on it, and I, Volvo, I called Volvo, and they said it's five to $800 to have to reprogram. Is there any way around it? No, sir. Um, when you say you had a key made, Brian, are you saying that, where'd you have the key made? Well, uh, we got it from a locksmith. Right. And they programmed it. The car runs and starts, and no problem with it, but, you know, but we can't get anything to work inside the car. That doesn't make any sense, right? Everything worked fine before you lost the key? Yeah, everything everything was fine before the key got lost. Okay. And the guy's been sitting for three years, and the, guy got, the key got misplaced. Okay, well, well, we well, yeah, well wait, wait a minute now, back up. So the car had been sitting for three years. You didn't, yep. you didn't find that you didn't have any keys. You had a key yep. made and programmed. Okay. Yep. 
Um, how did he yeah. how did he make a key? Did he have one to Did he have one to copy the frequency from, or he just programmed it that it would work? No, he just, he just programmed it. Okay. However, the locksmith did it. You know, we ordered, he ordered the remote, right, and programmed it, and it, the car does run, it runs good. Right. I drove it from Maine to Florida, but we can't get no air. We can't get nothing to work in it. So, but it's been it, it had been three years since the car last ran. Yes. Okay. Before everything was working, yeah. Where was the car parked? Right now, it's in Florida. Well, but outside, inside. Outside, outside. Okay. Um, what I'm thinking about is maybe it's not related to the key being lost. Maybe it's related to it sitting. All right. And no, and, because we go ahead. We've tried. We've tried different things. You know. I mean. Well, no, I no, 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 no. But no, hear me out, babe. What I'm, what I'm thinking about is, listen, here's the facts, right? The car, the car was parked three years ago, and everything was normal. Yeah. It's, it sat yes. for three years. The key was lost. Is, is the reason it sat for three years was because the key was lost, or you just didn't have use for the car? It didn't have use for the car. Okay. So in the interim, the key was lost, made the key, the car starts and runs, but now it's got these other issues. How do you know some animal didn't That's crawl right. up? How do you know some animal didn't crawl up somewhere and nibble at part of the wiring harness? Because I call I, I call the Volvo to see what they said. Yeah, that's normal. You got to have it reprogrammed. I said, well, okay. How expensive is that? They said between five and eight hundred. Wow. I said, well, you know, how long does that take? An hour or two? They said, well, you'd have to leave it. Okay. You know? I didn't so, know if there was a way around it. No, sir. To my knowledge, there's no way around programming. If, if, if there's something that has to be programmed, yes, but my concern becomes, and I guess you, you won't know until you go and do it, if there is, and, and where I would start this is, like anything else, I would just do an all-module scan on the vehicle, what fault codes are going to be there, because I guarantee you there are fault codes and modules if something's not talking to something. The relationship between the key and the rest of the vehicle I don't understand that. The key starts, the car starts. To me, that's it's doing what it's supposed to do. I'll have to do some research. I've never run into this, and that's, a, that's an interesting case scenario. It would seem like Volvo has you over the hurdle. Do you have a mechanic, or if you have a mechanic that his scan tool speaks Volvo, why don't you save yourself some money and start there and have him do a module scan? What sort of fault codes come up? Come back to me with that information, and then I can guide you a little bit better. But I would be cautious before I spent that kind of money at random, especially on a car that sat that long. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Is it my turn now, Mikey? <laughs> you know, in the annals of live radio, there are those moments where eh, we stop pointing at me. So, quick, let's get out of this. Let's go over to Ken in New Jersey. Ken, are you there? Hi. Hi, how are you? So Great, thanks. Well, um, well, I have a two-part question for you. Sure. I have an O2 F-150 4.2 V6, and I want to use it as my winter beater. But biggest number one problem, I've got no heat. Mm. The AC works at full cold only, and if I twist the temperature knob on the dashboard, it does nothing. Okay. Um, when I flip it over to heat, all of the heat settings do the same thing. I just get full cold. I mean, and it's blowing through the proper vents and everything. You can hear the doors moving. Right. But uh, all I get is just full full blast cold. 
Okay. So if you go outside with the engine warmed up and feel the heater mm-hmm. hoses, are they are they both hot? Or is one hotter than the other? Are they both still no, cold? No, I haven't tried that. Okay. You know, basics. I mean, uh, you know, do we have a do we have a restricted core? Do we have a problem with flow to the core? Are we low on coolant? Uh, you know, there's a there's a hundred possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then we can get into another conversation. Do we have an issue with a blend door actuator or a temperature blend door actuator that it's stuck in the cold position? Because if you're telling me that, and I think what you're saying to me is that it only makes real cold AC, and it won't make it won't make you know you can't modify the temperature. It's either stone cold or nothing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's stone cold or nothing. Right. So it sounds like the temp blend door kind of. If this was a vehicle from 20 years ago that had cables, mm-hmm. it sounds like the um, you know the temperature blend door cable is is stuck, frozen, or, or, or seized in the one position. So it uh, it would not be unusual to have a bad blend door actuator. Did you just get this vehicle, Ken? I've had it about two and a half years, and it just I just noticed it uh, doing this because I, I lived in Alabama until recently, so you always use the air conditioning. But, right. Right. Uh, I thought, hey, I should test out the heat before I, you know, enjoy my first New Jersey winter. Right. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. If, 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 <laughs> if you haven't had a, if you haven't had a New Jersey winter till now, brother, um, uh-huh. you may be going back to Alabama on vacation. Trust me. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's quite the yeah. experience. So, but yeah, I would but I, I would. Truck, uh, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm saying I, I've had the truck two and a half years, but uh, and I haven't used the heat in you know probably a year. Okay. So, you know, let's check and see is, is if, if, you know, get it up to temperature, warm it up, mm-hmm. feel the upper radiator hose. The upper radiator hose should be warm to yeah. the point that it's a little on the uncomfortable side to touch. All right? Okay. That's the expression and the description I always use, and it should be similarly warm on one of the heater core hoses, and then it okay. will be a little cooler on the other heater core hose, because obviously, if, if if heat's being radiated off the core, it's you know it's dispensing heat. It's going to be lower on the outlet than it is on the inlet. So let's right. do that and, and see where that gets us. Now, if we find that the core or the hoses are stone cold and the and the radiator is hot, then obviously we've got a blockage somewhere. No check engine light on on the dashboard. No. Okay. So so chances are there's no temperature issue with the engine. Because it would set a P0128 uh, or 125, depending upon options, um, as far as, you know, if the, if the temperature itself was, was an issue. But let's just, you know, back to basics, right? And then, and then we can go in with a scan tool if we want to start playing and, you know, look for codes and uh, can we move blend doors and see what kind of bidirectional controls available in 2002. So, but that's where I think well, you're headed. Second question. Okay, so if, if if I hear, I mean, like when I flip through things, I can hear the doors moving around, like the vent doors. But that's different from the blend door. Correct. There's right because okay. it's it's like it's like your house, right? You can open the windows mm-hmm. on the first floor and the second floor, but if the heat doesn't come on, the heat doesn't come on. Same thing. It's you know if the registers don't open or if it doesn't flow hot water through the baseboard, it it doesn't come on. You still won't right. get heat. You can you can vary where the air is going to go, but you can't. Yeah. You know if you're like my house where when the kids were here were there we were uh, heating heating New Jersey and cooling New Jersey because we didn't understand what windows and doors being closed or open meant. But um, <laughs> right. You know. As, well, as, and the the other the other part of that is should the compressor be on AC compressor be on when the heat is running. Hmm. I don't know about heat with defrost, yes. 
Okay. Yeah, with the heat is on. With the heat is on, the, the compressor is on. So what if you were to unplug the compressor? I haven't tried that. You know, what if you were to unplug the compressor? Does that give you heat? I don't know that the AC, and I really doubt that the AC, from a practical point, would have the ability to override a, a hot heater core. Okay, I would think that the air that the air coming out of the vents would be mild or lukewarm. It just wouldn't be real cold or real hot. I don't know that it would have that ability, um, unless in 2002. And I don't really keep track because I'll just diagnose whatever I'm faced with. You know, unless they've got the ability to mix the temperature, or if they don't get a proper response from a blend door, they run it over the the evaporator coil versus the heater core itself. So I don't know that that's I don't know that that's a valid point but what i'll do is just dis disable the ac either disconnect the cycling switch the low pressure switch or disconnect the compressor yeah. electrically and do i get heat chances are i'm not and i'm back to my original diagnosis okay all right well, i'm starting to suspect okay uh, well there... that's giving me some good things to check out now the other thing since i'm not used to driving up here i don't want the rear end of this thing sliding around all over the place this winter okay. there are some things i can do to improve traction or move, move to alabama um, if, if, if you haven't, listen, let me ask you this question. Do you think New Jersey drivers are crazy? Oh, just a different kind of crazy from where I see elsewhere. Okay. So if, if you haven't experienced a New Jersey winter, brother, you ain't seen nothing yet because it's, it's just an amazing sight to see. Everybody's in their four-wheel drive, track, anti-traction control, anti-accident avoidance system vehicle, and they're all doing three miles an hour wherever you go. And, and, and that's if it starts to rain, never mind when it snows. So, uh, you know, it's a special kind of insanity. What you can do is, obviously, the easy answer is make sure the tires are good on the truck. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing beats a good set of tires, and all-season tires are fine. You want to put four snows on it because it's a it's – is it a four-wheel drive vehicle or a two-wheel drive vehicle, Ken? Two-wheel. Two-wheel. So, you know, you want to put um, just a good all-season tire on it. You could put four snows on it up front. It's just going to feel, feel and ride rough. It's not going to give you any great traction control. But nothing, nothing works better than some ballast in the back of the truck. So, okay. you know, it becomes a trip to Home Depot, and what's the cheapest ballast you can buy that you don't mind having hanging around the house come the summer months? You know, a row of, a row of block, uh, you know, a couple of bags of sand, a couple hundred pounds of sand in the back, but then the sand usually breaks down. But I would be looking for some ballast, just some weight in the back of the vehicle, just to kind of hold it to the road a little bit better. And I think that'll do okay. it for you. Obviously, and tires. Tires become, you know, critical. So Okay. All right, sir? Great. Well, I appreciate the advice. You're very welcome. Welcome to New Jersey, and uh, we're glad to have you. So um, you take good care. Let's get on over and uh, let's pull over and take the pause. All right, we'll get back on the clock here, and uh, let's pull over and take the pause. I'm Ron Annie, the car doctor, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Annie, the car doctor. Let's go over to Clay in Bangor, Maine. Clay, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, I have a 0400 Cord LX with the 2.4. Okay. And it keeps blowing the um, FIECU fuse under the hood. Hmm. Okay. Um, and I guess the stupid question is, how often and what's been done to it? Um, well, nothing really. I mean, uh, I was sitting having my lunch, and, uh, you know, I had the car running, uh, the radio on, the AC on, and all of a sudden it just died. And I mean, I, I got the car with 91,000 on it, it has 108, and honestly, I haven't done anything to it. 
Okay. And has did this happen once? Does this happen on a regular basis? Is this? Oh uh, no! Just it happened once. Uh, you know, I had it towed to my place of work, and uh, of course, when I turned the key on, you couldn't hear the fuel pump come on. So, right. you know, so I replaced the fuel pump, which is real easy to do in this car. It has an access panel. Right. So we did that, and the minute you turn the key into the on position, it blows the uh, 15 amp fuse to the fuel injection. Okay, so so right now it's a dead short. It's dead, yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so was the was the fuse blown prior to the fuel pump being replaced? Um, well, I didn't notice it right off. I mean, so after I replaced the fuel pump and it still didn't start, I replaced the relay, and still doing the same thing. And uh, upon closer examination, we noticed that the uh, fifteen amp fuel injection uh, fuse was blown. Okay. What I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, was the fuse blown, which is why the fuel pump didn't come on? Or did replacing the fuel pump, is there something done incorrectly, or is it a bad new fuel pump causing a short, causing the fuse to blow? I'm just trying to get you to think from both sides of the spectrum. Hmm. So well, that's, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> right. So if you, were to, if you were to unplug the fuel pump electrically, yeah, all right? I did. And yeah. if you unplug the fuel pump, put a fuse in, go to start the car, obviously it won't start. There's no fuel pump. Does the fuse right. blow? The, the fuse blows, yeah. The fuse blows. Okay, so yeah. then so then, then, from that description, and I'd be looking at a wiring diagram to see how this, this puppy's wired, it sounds right. like this is not fuel pump related, so chances are the original fuel pump is okay, too. Yep. <laughs> which, which wouldn't surprise me because I've got to tell you, probably the number one and two cars we don't change fuel pumps on anymore are Hondas and Toyotas. They just don't, yep. they just don't seem to go bad. Right. Um, and i got to say, GM is still probably at the top of the list. Um, and, uh, not a lot of Fords. Every once in a while, a Chrysler. But even, even GM, fuel pumps have just, a lot of cars have just gotten a lot better unless, they've been, right. unless they're being abused, unless you're driving around tank on E, that kind of stuff. So right. now yeah. we're now we're down to, you know, short circuit diagnosis. Let's right. let's get out a wiring diagram. Let's go see what this fuel. Let's go see what this fuse feeds. Um, let's find the connector that's in the middle of the circuit, and right. can we unplug it? And if we do unplug it, does the fuse still blow? If the fuse doesn't blow, then we know the component that we're looking for, or the part of the harness that we're looking for, is on that side of the connector. And if it if it does still blow we know it's the other way right uh, you know i i love a car with a dead short and, a, and, a, and blowing a fuse it's it's easy give me a broken car i'll fix it yeah you know um nothing common that i've seen if that's what you're looking for and, and i wouldn't right. i wouldn't even want to comment on it if if it were common because i, I don't want to get somebody going in the wrong direction right, right. you know um one of the things and you know it's 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 funny i was i was thinking about the show today and we've had a couple of calls that They've changed. We had a couple of callers this past two hours that they've changed everything under the car, but nobody yeah. nobody's diagnosed anything. Nobody's taken the time to test anything. Nobody's taken the time to how does this work? Right. When, when I started in the business a million years ago, when dirt was invented and 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 God, <laughs> God was a teenager, um, <laughs> I you know one of the first things they taught me was take the part out of the car and test it. How does right. it work? Make it right. stand on its own merit. And right. if, it, if it works on the bench, it's going to work in the car. 
and, and I never forgot that. Uh, you know, now in your case, because you don't know the history of the car, a couple of things I always think about. I always think about animals. When I when I hear stories about fuses blowing, I'm always looking for animal damage. I'm always looking for um, I'm always looking for add-on accessories. Yeah. You know, did anybody put an aftermarket stereo, alarm, GPS, nav system in it? Uh, no, wire in a radar detector. You know, we always yeah. kind of we always kind of think about those things. And then I start looking around the engine compartment and following the harnesses leading up to the leading up to the component. In this case, PCM and the rest of whatever's on that circuit. Like I said, we need a, we need a wiring diagram. That's the roadmap. Right. And right. you know, is there anything rubbing, damaged, out of its placeholder? You know, I always think about, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna go Clay. I always think about okay. the car that. You know, I, I remember we had an older Ford product many years ago that, that nobody could figure out what was wrong with it, and it kept blowing a fuse, and we looked the car all over, and, you know, everything looked right, but one of the things that was wrong in the engine compartment, somebody had left the wiring harness out of its holder, and if you didn't look at it closely, you didn't notice it, and it had rubbed against a sharp corner of the sheet metal, and every time it hit a bump... It would saw through. It had sawed through the harness and popped the fuse. And you know those those wiring harness holders are there for a reason. I'm not saying this is your case, but I always look for how is it built and how does it look now. Go diag go go uh, go diagnose it. If you need a wiring diagram, and I will offer this to you, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. Send me the VIN, and uh, I'll be glad to send you out a harness uh, diagram. Maybe that'll help the process. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome to the Car Doctor. Hey, it's just a month away, the Coastal Virginia Auto Show down in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia Beach Convention Center. The Car Doctor is going to be there on Saturday, November 16th, I believe is the date. Uh, we're going to be doing a live broadcast out of the Virginia Beach Convention Center, so we're looking forward to that and seeing everybody down that way. The 2019 Coastal Virginia Auto Auto Virginia Auto Show is already being planned with celebrity appearances, including <clears throat> along with uh, Joe Kenda, the Homicide Hunter, the Blown Mafia demonstrations, live entertainment, lots of giveaways, prizes, the children's area, and so much more. You know, car shows are fun, right? That's Americana. That's you know, it, and it's a glimpse into the past, and it's just really kind of a neat thing to go and do and spend some time with the kids. Um, quick comment: This one comes to us from Wayne in Fairfax, Virginia. Hey, Ron, I was listening to today's show and I listened to the caller about the Volvo and the key with the programming issue, and I think you're right. I don't think it should be five to eight hundred dollars. I don't know of any situation where a key would affect and cause a Volvo to have those kind of issues. I think you're absolutely right. He should have it code scanned and tested and then diagnosed from there. In any event, if programming is required, it's typically a few hundred dollars, not five to eight. I think the dealer is trying to oversell him. I'm a 33-year Volvo Master Tech. Uh, there you go. So let's uh, back to the original. Let's um, let's get it diagnosed. That's just so gosh darn important. By the way, if you're looking for information about the uh, Virginia Beach Auto Show, it's cvautoshow.com, cvautoshow.com. So um, that'll do it for that. And that about does it for this because the hour has just flown by. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.